inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. Water is the stuff of life, but unclean water can lead to death. But the good news is that we have ways to determine what water is safe to drink or use on crops and for animals and what water is not. So today on Radio Cade, we welcome Safa Miri, a professor of chemistry at the University of Florida and the inventor of a new water quality sensor. Welcome, Safa. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, Safa, obviously clean water is a big deal, and people have recognized the scientific basis of that conclusion for you know about 150 years or so. Um, and there are different ways to measure water quality. So describe for our listeners, before we get into your background, you know, what makes your invention different? Why is it uh, better, you know, cheaper, sure. faster than other techniques? Sure. So the motivation behind this invention was what I was just seeing in real life in Flint, Michigan. I saw that 8,000 children were affected by lead poisoning. That is, that is like heartbreaking. That is uh, just because you don't know what you're drinking and just you just keep, just imagine, just keep drinking tap water and then after a while you forget out all of your children, they're affected or you can't even take a shower with that water. And uh, all of these were because people are just don't know. They just don't know what, what they're drinking, what, you know, what is in their water. And uh, in several scenarios, even like, you know, they are not informed about it and they have also no knowledge about water chemistry. So it's very heartbreaking that uh, they don't have a handy tool to test for it. About 45% of the piping infrastructure in the U.S. still is, you know, very too old and, you know, they all contain lead and that causes a lot of issues. About 18 million people are still being suffered by those pipes that are, you know, being utilized for the water transportation under the ground, and they all need to be renovated. And it has been shown that if U.S. wants to fix all of these issues, uh, it's going to take about two centuries to fix all of those at the cost of $1 trillion. So they are not going to be fixed easily unless there's a problem, and people do not have a handy tool to do it. So that was the beginning of the, all right, so we need to do something about it, and let's fix this issue. So I came up with a sensor, water quality sensor, which is a handheld, portable, easy-to-use sensor, like a cell phone, imagine, and then you just pour a drop of water, and it tells you what is in there and how much of what is in there. And then we also be able to, you know, provide solution to provide recommendation. All right, you have this, this is the way to fix it. You have arsenic in the water, you have lead in the water, this is the good treatment for it, and then we can help them with the design because that's what I did for the past six years for my PhD. I did design and building water treatment and desalination systems. So 
not only we can help them and bring awareness to the communities about what they drink, but also we can help them fix it. Because most of them, they don't know. They don't know what they don't know, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we need we help them uh, bring the awareness to the communities. We help them know what is in their water. And the sec- second step is to help them fix it with the right treatment. Because not all of the off-the-shelf technologies you buy from the store is going to fix that specific element that you have problem with. The innovation in your product is the fact what that is handheld and that you need just a relatively small amount of water well the innovation is that you can do several ions at a time handheld portable in your hand with no specific solutions for calibration so basically whatever technology that was out there it was not for drinking it was usually for swimming pools like testing for chlorine so you would buy a sensor for chlorine or you would buy a sensor for whatever element is out there and it's a huge very expensive and it cannot detect several elements at a time what if you have two ions what if you have different ions you have you need you need it needs to be cost effective it needs to be easy to use it needs to be you know uh, sustainable so all of these that we, we bring many things into one sensor we can also measure ph and electrical conductivity on top of those um, heavy metals that we have in the water everything all in one place so people don't have to worry about sending their water sample to a laboratory to test which is very cost you know costly and they have to wait a lot of time you know for them to come back to they say this is the result so it's very the way that it is right now it's very time consuming and very expensive to test your water and it's not any, there's not any, you know, easy to use and handheld technology that people can use. And is this envisioned for a consumer, retail use, or would it still be like water inspectors that would need to come in and, and use the device? Good question. So there are two routes to go. One is the from the business to consumer and one from the business to business. We can go both. We had interest from peoples and like consumers or families that need one like the handheld uh, standalone technology but then i went to like milwaukee two weeks ago for a to water council to get an award for the sensor technology and as part of that i met 101 with several big corporates of you know water meter like badger meter like veolia all of these big corporations that do water treatment and they all explicitly said that we we love these types of technology and uh, we we would like it to be in line so that we can test the water at the point of use right before it goes to the houses. So they wanted to install that on the pipes. So we are now working on uh, having a separate design to go in line such that utilities not only monitor the water flow and water pressure, but also they can monitor the water quality at the point of use. Because usually the problem that utilities have, they know what they're releasing into the pipelines, but they don't know what actually the consumer will get. Because the problem is that underground, that is where everything will happen. Even in Gainesville, if you just drink a cup of tap water in here and then, or go, you go to, I don't know, Alachua, test that or you go the other side of University Avenue all the way to Newberry's you will see that's going to taste differently so many of those water will come from the same source but the issue is under the ground so they cannot utilities cannot control what actually people would get so they love to have a tool handy at the point of use to test the water so so the answer is yes 
both utilities and uh, water treatment companies would be interested in these for inline purposes and from household per perspective standalone so that everybody can test it at home if utilities is not jumping in right Nasav, you as you mentioned you've been working uh, you said seven years on yes. your PhD right yes. so you've been involved with water for quite a long time mm -hmm. and I know you've had some other breakthroughs right sort of other uh, inventions or products could you describe a little bit you know what else in the in the water clean water arena that you've been working on so during the past five years um, I started uh, I got my PhD in New Mexico State University and uh, in 2012 that's where I when I moved to the US actually and then uh, I started working on a real project that people can actually use I, I really wanted to do something useful not just for the sake of wrapping up my PhD so in 2013 I wrote a proposal to use the agricultural residues and bio waste to because we have a lot of those in New Mexico and Arizona. Uh, tumbleweed, pecan shells, orchard prunings, all of these wastes. We use those to get the energy off of it to produce, uh, to treat the brackish water because there's not much of a precipitation in New Mexico and Arizona. So that way we can treat the brackish water, which is very quite salty over there. It's even like in some cases, it has more hard water like calcium sulfate and calcium carbonate that even, than even seawater. So it tastes very bad, actually, very bad. So that way we can treat those water using the, you know, otherwise wasted source of, you know, fuels such as bio waste. So that was the whole uh, concept of my PhD to treating the brackish water using the biomass energy. So I simulated everything, you know, from scratch all the way to the prototyping. So the project was funded by Bureau of Reclamation. And then, uh, so, I, I was privileged to work on something real in my PhD, not just like going all the way to the simulation and say bye. So right. I did not only simulation, but also design, but also building the pro actual prototype of the water desalination system called multiple effect distillation. They short, in short, we call it MED. And then, so the whole system, I called it Aggie MED, and that's what I've applied for Cade Museum Prize for the last two years. And Aggie MED, the Aggie stands for Agricultural Residues and also the mascot of New Mexico State University. And the MED stands for Multiple Effect Distillation. So basically, imagine the, the portable, small-scale treatment technology that you can put in your back of a back of a big pickup truck and just put it around the wells in the farm wherever you have waste just put it in there and then treat your well water i did the prototype of that and i did customer discovery for that technology so the whole entrepreneurial experience for me started when i got a funding from national science foundation uh, for a program called i -Corps, national i -Corps. so i got fifty thousand dollars just to travel get out of the building talk to people talk to customers to see potential customers, to see if there's any demand for this. So it was actually, it opened my eyes. It opened my eyes to everything to see, is it useful? Is the thing that I'm working on, is someone gonna actually use it? And I'm really grateful for that program. And I did it in 2016 and I was the entrepreneurial lead along with my advisor. But my advisor was actually just there as a PI, and I was the lead. In 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 in, in that scenario, our case, you know, was was switched. It's kind of so. I was the one who was telling her what to do, who to talk to, because I was in a position of entrepreneurial lead. I had to manage the team. I had two business mentors, so we we're all working on a team. So we had to. I had to manage a very, you know. Uh, 
an actual scenario where I was going to actually resolve an issue that people were struggling with. So I talked to several people from breweries to dairy farmers to semiconductor manufacturers to everybody from different segments that even talking to them should be very different. And, you know, I learned how to talk to people differently such that they don't hang up the phone as soon as I call them because they thought that I'm salesman. Right. Well, that's always a good metric. If people it's, don't hang up the phone. Oh, yeah. Then, yeah. Oh, yeah. At the, at the beginning, uh, we were supposed to do 15 customer interviews each week. But then at the end and at the end of week seven, I was the one who told them, please stop. I got to go. They kept talking and talking and talking. So I learned some skills. And that helped me actually learn about customer discovery, learned about before doing anything, talk to people and see if somebody cares and then go back to the lab and do your own stuff. So uh, th- that's interesting. Let's talk a little bit more about that because inventors and entrepreneurs seem to be cut from a, a different cloth. You know, they, they, they often have unique experiences or, or upbringings that sort of lead them in the direction of, of doing what you described, sort of wanting not just to do research for research's sake, but to sort of somehow apply it, make it useful. So let's go back, you know, even before your academic career. You know, t- tell me what you're like uh, as a kid. Were you a good student? Were, you know, did you just, uh, what were you curious <laughs> in? And, and then maybe a little bit about, you know, some early influences, whether they're parents sure. or teachers or, sure. you know, friends even that kind of shape for you this worldview of like, I want to do something sure. really re- useful. Well, very good question, because I really think that uh, having a high IQ is not necessarily going to end up with, you know, uh, being successful entrepreneur, but perseverance does. So um, I had a perseverance in everything I, I started with, started with my uh, music. So I started um, playing violin when I was eight. And I continued that continuously all the way to when I was 22. Wow. I just took lessons nonstop, nonstop. Even like one week was not stopped. There's, I just kept going to the classes. I became quite familiar with all of the, you know. And that's not an easy instrument. I, I know because my son took violin. Yeah. And, and already by the age of eight, he had surpassed me. I mean, I wasn't a violin player, but right. there were, <laughs> parents were supposed to practice along. And, and I couldn't do it. Uh, my eight-year-old was playing much better than I It's hard because could. at the beginning, it's just going to sound awful. You have to just keep practicing, keep practicing past that limit that it's going to start sounding good. And so I did like 20 years, I don't know, 15, 20, whatever years of nonstop lessons and learned perseverance is the key to success. And on the other hand, my dad was an entrepreneur also. He was a serial entrepreneur. He yeah. did he did a lot of inventions without even protecting it because we didn't have such things back in Iran. Uh-huh. We are from Iran. So we didn't have the like patent stuff. So what sort of inventions did your dad do? Or, or he, he did a lot of inventions, all metal works. So either cabinets, like very unique cabinets mm-hmm. uh, for kitchens or uh, filing systems that people would put in, you know, um, all the documents in a filing and also uh, whatever with metal. So whatever industry he, he, he entered was with metal stuff. And then he was quite successful and he was always the pioneer in the field. And then somebody somewhere in Iran, you know, duplicated technology. So he had to change. So he was very good at pivoting, changing to different products. All, he was always on the top. He was always on the top. And he was not even educated. He was just like maybe high school. Mm-hmm. 
But and so did you help him with any of these inventions? Did, did he uh, put you to work? I or? was well, I was a kid yeah. actually, but I was working in the manufacturing in the machining shop that he had. You know, as an intern, kind of learning. You know, a lot get, getting my hands dirty a little bit and learning welding stuff and stuff like that. But actually, I did not actually got. Uh, so it was in my my brain that hey, I really like this. That he he has the freedom to he has his own business he can go to work whenever so i was very impressed by he doesn't have to go to work like eight to five he's very free he comes home and have lunch and take a nap and then go back to work i i was impressed by that as a kid and i really wanted to uh, be my own boss and then uh, so when i did intern uh, he actually really wanted me to work in that uh, machining shop and just continue that but i ended up going university and changing but but still, I, I have all of those skills and all of things. So that was mind. before you developed an interest in science, or did you oh, have an oh, interest yeah. in science about the same time? Or no, I was I, I just majored in chemical engineering in, in, in undergraduate, and uh, he was really insisting on me working in the machine shop, continuing just working. I said no, I want to go to school. So he said, yeah, sure, go to school. So I went to school, and then I really liked it. So I continued. I was not really. I, I just kept going with chemical engineering. So I started my bachelor's in a, um, Shiraz University in Iran in chemical engineering. Then I graduated in 2010. Then I, in 2010, right after graduation, I traveled to England. I got my master's University of Leeds in England. As soon as that ended, I came here to the U.S., did my Ph.D. So I was just studying nonstop. I did not do any, you know, other other things rather than music which was always there just coming out with me until the second year of phd where the entrepreneurial activity started for me starting with uh, startup weekend so startup weekend was the beginning of the journey where uh, i just participated uh, as part of my phd i just said let's go there and just see what what happens right and that was the beginning. I just went there, and a night before, I just told my wife, what should I propose? Because I should propose idea. And I didn't want it to propose my PhD dissertation. I said, I don't want to put myself in trouble. Maybe that's going to cause issue. Let's do something else. So I just thought a little bit about what, what can I propose. And then I just thought that, hey, water desalination is a big industry. And all of the desalination industries, they have a problem with brine concentrate coming off of the plants. So they don't they just dump it in the ocean, which kills the marine life, or they just inject it back into the ground, which pollutes and contaminates the brackish water, which again they have to desalinate. So I just thought about how to resolve that issue and just propose an idea of to let's get the brine, take the water out, recover the water because they just let it evaporate or just dump it. There's a lot of water in there. So let's capture the water from it crystallize it, crystallize the salts from it, and then use the salts for energy storage. And that salt can be sold to solar power plants for energy storage, or it can be used for any, any storage, even in buildings, to keep the house warm during the night. So that idea won among like 40 participants. And so when I got that award, I was so pumped to continue that. I said, yeah. wow, this is so you know, interesting, and I, just, I should consider that upon my graduation. And what year was this? Uh, 2016. 16, okay, relatively 2016. recently. Okay. Yeah. And then right after that, that was when I applied for the National Science Foundation i -Corps. I just told my advisor, hey, let's do this. Because I was so pumped to continue the entrepreneurial activity, even though that is not 
something in academia people would think of because they are not exposed right. to it. Let's, let's talk about that because it's, it's fascinating that, you know, the, the two worlds are really uh, quite different. You know, the world mm-hmm. of academia in which you basically you do research, you publish papers, yeah. you go to conferences, and then you move on, right, to yeah. the next topic or yeah. the next level. Yeah. And in the business world, it's, it's quite different. Yeah. You've yeah. been in both worlds. You know, what, um, what strengths do you think you bring as an academic to the business world, and then vice versa. Having been a little bit in the business world, what do you see differently about the academic world that you know you wish that you see maybe as a weakness or something that needs to be improved? I Tell us think what it looks like from both. Yeah. I think there is still a gap, mm-hmm. huge gap between academia and industry. And nowadays, it's getting much better. That's why the these types of grants like iCore grants has come in. That's why all of these small business innovation grants like SBIR has come in. All of these federal agencies, NSF, DOD, EPA, DOE, all of these federal agencies. Back then, they just would would fund a proposal without knowing, okay, whether or not there's a demand for it. Nowadays, they have these I-Core things or a small business innovation grant, so people apply and do some customer discovery upfront to see if there's a demand for it, and once they know there's a demand for it, let's go back to the office, write a proposal, do your PhD on that topic. So before, or still, a lot of uh, universities, they do the opposite. They write the proposal, they get the funding, they finish the, propo- they finish they the project. And they find out nobody wants it. They find nobody wants it. <laughs> and it's just sitting in the lab. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the way it is. Most of the, you know, it was like that. Until 2012, in 2012, this entrepreneurship and this customer discovery idea came into the labs and PhD students got to know about it. Hey, what is it? What? How does it look like? And then people start to apply and then they brought, brought this back to university, talk to other fellow you know, students, say, you know, it's very, it's very important that you should, you should know what you're working on. It's on the cures. If, if nobody cares about that, why would you do it? Mm-hmm. And then, so it was very important for me, and I, I'm glad that I understood that right in the beginning of my PhD before going too long and, and, and deeply involved into it. So I could, I could pivot. I could a little bit, you right. know, change my direction towards where the actual demand is. So yeah, academic environment is good, and it gives you a lot of good background, mm-hmm. and you know the resources that you have in academia. But eventually down the road, you need to get out. You need to get out of your comfort zone and talk to people if somebody cares about it. And that's something that you would not normally do in part of academia's life unless, you know, either somebody motivates you or there is a, like, you know, these types of grants or, or you are aware of. Or I, I got to know about it through, the, you know, university entrepreneurial or business department. So right. I encourage students to, to get involved to outside of their department to see what's going on because there is a very important thing that people just, you know, they're doing their PhD, I don't know, in microbiology mm-hmm. and then he ends up, ends up working in software engineering. Totally different, has nothing to do with your PhD or, you know, what that 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 is very annoying to me personally. Right. And I'm very glad that I had a ch- chance to exactly work on what I did for my PhD and I don't care if I have to change. I, I'm always open. I'm always open to pivot and to change it to the what the demand is and what people really want because as all of the entrepreneurs say the customer is the king 
Right. <laughs> if, if, if they don't want it, you're out. If you're out, yeah. So We talked earlier, you, saw, you talked about perseverance and how important that was. And what are some of the other qualities that you would, if, if you were advising sort of a younger version of you, you know, or, or maybe an undergraduate, and, and they have also uh, an idea, that, and, they, and they have entrepreneurial leanings, perseverance, as you said, is key. And uh, again, congratulations. For three years in a row, I think, mm-hmm. you reached the finalist stage of the Cade Prize, so mm-hmm. a big accomplishment. But what are some of the other things that you would perhaps recommend to, uh, you know, to think of a, a senior about to graduate with their undergraduate degree and they think, oh, what do I do now? I, I really have all these dreams of a technology or product. Are there certain things that you'd say, well, you definitely need to do this? And on the other hand, are the things you say, well, you really shouldn't do that? Well, I think first, uh, well, beside the perseverance, I would say being open, being open and flexible to change. You know, oh, there should be always uh, a better way. If, if just don't be, you know, a very cocky about your idea and say, I have to get this, it should work. No, it may not. Or maybe people just don't want it, don't want, don't be biased about, because usually people, they love their product in academia. They love their PhD dissertation. They love, that's what I did. I loved it. I didn't want to let go. So it's sometimes you should let go. You should be open and you should talk to people. You should have a lot of mentors. You should be open to talk to people, different people from customers to mentors. I have a lot of business mentors here and there. Every Everything that I'm going to do, I ask people, is it wise to do it? I'm about to sign this deal. I'm about to talk to this person. What do you think I need to think of upfront? I think it, it helped me because we don't know many things in business world. I'm, I'm still count myself as an academician because that's what I did most of my life. Yes, I've entered into entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurship world like a while ago, but still there's a lot of things I don't know. Legal stuff, you know, I'm talking to someone I don't know. Okay, is it, what should I say? What should I not say? Still a lot of things. Marketing, no clue. So I, I love people. I love people join my company. Now I have two interns. Uh, they are all passionate that they just came in and just working for me. I say, we are passionate about this thing. That's all we want. I just want passion. So passion is very, very important, I think. If you have the passion, that's what's, everything is going to be there afterwards because money is going to come afterwards. Passion is very, very important. And like I, I have two interns now. I'm pretty sure more people are going to join my company based on their passion. I did not even say anything or solicit anything that say, hey, I'm looking for interns. They just came to me during different events, say, hey, we heard that you have this technology, we are interested. So, wow, I would love to work with you. So they are now working. One of them is now working on a business plan that we're working on. And then the other one, uh, she's working on a website, developing the website and also the marketing intern. So basically the things that I have no clue on, they're helping me with that. So teamwork, very important. I'm always open to to be criticized. I really believe that we need to be flexible as an entrepreneur. There are many many times that we don't know you know how to proceed, and so we have to stop. We have to ask everybody. So it doesn't matter you know if it's intern, if it's your employee, if it's the mentor. Everybody might have an idea that might change your route. I always listen. Even if, you know, sometimes I may not necessarily listen, yeah. do that thing, but I always open to listen and it has helped me a lot. That's why I talk to a lot of people and I love networking. 
I just love it. So that's a great list. Uh, I counted just a few: perseverance, passion, openness. You're asking a lot of questions, and I realized after I asked you the question, I, I phrased it wrong because you're already a mentor. You're already acting in that capacity, stuff as <laughs> some of the younger entrepreneurs come to you and sort of they, they know that you've been involved and they're asking yeah. for advice. And one thing you said reminded me of, of something my my friend and guest host Randy Scott has said uh, as he advises companies. He says one of the first things he teaches, in particular academics, is he says you have to fall out of love with your idea. And I think you said almost exactly the same thing, right? You have to look at your own research in a detached, objective way and say, is this really any good? Does it work? Do people want it? And if you can't do that, it's going to be very, very hard to you take know, it to market. Very, it's yeah. a little bit tricky being yeah. very confident and be proud of yeah. your project, but at the same time being humble enough right. to ask people a lot of questions to be open to change. So it's there should be a balance between these two. You should not feel like you're very, you know, you should not underestimate yourself. You should be confident that this is going to work. This is going to work. I'm confident that it's going to work. Just do everything that you can to make it work. But on the other hand, you should be very humble and flexible. That If you go to a customer, whatever he or she says, that is what you need to do. So, you know, some people have compared it to raising a child, right? You know, you, you, you are your child's biggest advocate and you're very proud of your child. But you also have to know, like, can my child get into Harvard or not yes. get into Harvard? Although nowadays, of course, you can just pay $500,000 and they're in, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, Sam, this has been a great uh, conversation and I really wish you uh, the best of luck. You're, you're already you. doing quite well. You're, you're well known in the community. You're performing you. well. Um, you're getting Thank recognized you for those efforts. And, and we look forward to having you at the museum, um, helping teach about your technologies. But also the, the broader subject of what we've mm-hmm. been talking about, mm-hmm. how do you make that leap out of the, the laboratory into mm-hmm. the marketplace? So mm-hmm. thank you very thank much Thank you for, for the opportunity. I'm very grateful for Kid Museum and of supporting the, you know, the community. This is my third time in a row, and I, will, I keep applying. I keep applying. <laughs> I keep participating. I'm just a networking person, and I would love to network, and I'm really appreciative of this opportunity you guys provided. Thank well, you. Well, thanks very much for coming on, and, and hope to have you back. Thank you. This is Richard Miles. Radio Cade would like to thank the following people for their help and support. Liz Gist of the Cade Museum for coordinating inventor interviews. Bob McPeak of Hartwood Soundstage in downtown Gainesville, Florida for recording, editing, and production of the podcasts and music theme. Tracy Collins for the composition and performance of the Radio Cade theme song featuring violinist Jacob Lawson. And special thanks to the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention, located in Gainesville, Florida.